Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, uh, Brian Karam. With me today is Jack Palance and Bruno Kirby. No, actually with us, Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, John Bennett from editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call, and a lot to unpack this week as we take a look at the uh, 93 dead in Maui after a horrible fire, Trump's provocative protective order, uh, Donald Trump at the Iowa State Fair, and in Georgia, they're looking at a grand jury to indict Rudy, Rudy, Rudy or maybe some other folks coming up this week. Hunter uh, Biden gets his own special counsel, and now in sports. So stick around, a lot to unpack. We'll take a look at all of it when we get right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, welcome back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With us for our normal weekly roundup of the news is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. And we've been uh, enjoying ourselves with our own uh, trials and tribulations before we started, but we'll get over all that, although I still say Michael Zeldin owes me a, owes me a turtle, but that, that'll be later. So anyway... <laughs> unpack what happened this week i want to start out with something that usually i mean it has it it kind of swept away a lot of the politics this week and i want to examine how we covered it in the press but to bring everybody up to speed at this hour of, of sunday morning is uh there have been 93 people now that have been confirmed killed uh in lahani uh, in the mex uh, hawaiian island of uh, maui after our, I mean, it was an explosive, that's the only way to put it, an explosive wildfire, and it's left highly toxic aftermath. Hawaii Governor Josh Green says there are at least 2,200 buildings that were destroyed. About 86% of those structures were residential. The chief of police says as of today, just 3% of the area has been searched with cadaver dogs, 93 confirmed dead, expecting hundreds more, maybe, and so um, the we're looking at why this became such a deadly fire, and it's because of something called a flash drought. On May 23rd, none of Maui was unusually dry. By June 13th, it was two-thirds either abnormally dry or in moderate drought. And this week, 83% of the island is either abnormally dry or in moderate or severe drought. According to scientists, invasive grasses uh, that, you know, when uh, pineapple farming stopped uh, has caused some of the damage because these invasive grasses 
when they dry out, act like tinder. Um, but the big thing they say is that it's because of climate change. Uh, major differences in air pressure actually suck moisture out of the ground and out of the plants and thus creating very quickly uh, these conditions. Hurricane Dora passing nearby, uh, passed south uh, south of the islands in Hawaii, exacerbated the, the system and created the wind that added to the all you need you added to the tender and all you needed was a spark and there you go so that's where we are as far as what happened uh it's been politicized of course already lauren bobert uh tweeted out that or xed out or posted on x or whatever it's called these days accusing uh biden of complicity in it and saying they didn't react enough meanwhile there are 150 people from fema that are already on the ground working with the uh Governor, there's been 1,400 hotel rooms for the people that have been displaced. There uh, have been supplies coming in. There's a a fear from the people on the island that it'll be when it's rebuilt, it'll be you know Disneyfied instead of what it was. Uh, you know, originally the the capital of um, the indigenous people who live there. So that's all predicate for what's going on. And John, I guess I'll start with you. How how do you think? Do you think we've even looked at this and I mean, it just seems like it's been politicized. It's been downgraded. It's been until 93 bodies. And by this is the worst wildfire as far as death goes in the history of the U.S. Has this has the Hawaii uh, tragedy been downsized or climate change? Sorry, no climate change. And it, as down, I mean, you you look at the. Uh, coverage of what we've done and that part of it has been almost glossed over it has um you know there's something going on for sure um touched on it last week you know i was in the caribbean recently for vacation uh during the east coast heat wave and caught part of it there and you know that heat that i felt uh in the bahamas was nothing i had ever felt and you know uh, there are a lot of Americans, obviously, at the resort I was staying at, and everyone, no matter upstate New York, South Carolina, uh, the Midwest, East Coast, everyone was talking about uh, just how hot it was. We didn't get into the politics, obviously. We were more worried about the party pool. Um, we didn't get into the politics of climate change, but something's going on here. Um, you know, I've noticed that um, the storms that we've had here in the Washington area the last month or two um, – you know, it's either just a rain event or it's just a just a violent storm. And I grew up in North Carolina, so I'm no um, I'm not new to summer afternoon thunderstorms. I <laughs> uh, used to practice football with lightning in the background. Don't tell anybody. And so but these so you just had my different. coach in high school. So. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just seems different now. Well, Everything what, seems more extreme. And that's it, the point of climate change. You know, it's not about just getting hotter. Uh, and it's like wins. we don't cover it. We we don't cover this in the news. We we almost seem to ignore that very real. What you're talking about is a very visceral reaction, and we don't cover it very well, do we? No, I don't think we do. And you know, I said last week that you know there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, I do think that part of it is, as you alluded to, it's become so uh, politicized. Just like you know, I'm surprised that my coffee mug. I'm sure my, my coffee mug would divide uh, Republicans and Democrats because we've we have convinced ourselves in this country that, um, you know, you either have to be violently for something or violently opposed to something. 
And, you know, I think in the news business, part of the reason we don't cover climate change in a serious way um, is because we know as soon as you put the headline on the story, you've turned off 50 to 60 percent of potential readers or viewers. And that's you know, said a lot right there. And, you know, we are running a business here, as Tony Soprano once said. Um, so we, we do have to think that we, we got to keep the lights on. We got to pay the bills and the Wi-Fi and and, you know, we got to buy everybody a laptop. You know, we got expenses. And I think there are a handful of issues that that we don't cover well. And I think that's a big reason why. Also, as we said last week, it's hard. It's science. It's difficult. And, you know, it's we don't it's do that hard. very well, do we? <laughs> No, you know who did cover this well was the Capital Weather Gang at the Washington Post. They put together um, a series of graphics that showed how this was literally a perfect storm and how the winds and then the hurricane and the winds came over those beautiful mountains of Hawaii. You know, I was there last year. I was on Oahu, but, you know, even flying in, I'd never been to Hawaii and and just how beautiful the landscape is with the, you know, the volcanoes and the mountains and, and how lush it is, you know, you got this lush Valley and then this beautiful uh, mountain. And it's just, it's a, it's a, it's just a shame that this has happened to such a beautiful place. Michael, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you the question. When you look at how we covered on the news, do you think we're doing a decent job? No, we're doing a terrible job. And what we're doing, which is really, unhelpful is we've set this up as if Republicans are all climate deniers and are against um, fixing it and Democrats are all for it, which of course is absolutely untrue. The Democrats don't do anything more at a very systemic level than do Republicans. If you look at the Obama administration, under his reign, there was more oil and gas drilling than I think previously uh, by by any other any other president, and you know they do it on the grounds of national security and energy independence. And if you listen to uh, Joe Manchin, he says the reason he vote he voted for the infrastructure bill was because it too had opportunities for uh, mining and other things for national security energy independence uh you know they talk about right. uranium we're not going to mine in uranium because um biden has just designated uh additional um national park lands then we're going to be dependent on foreign sources to get our uranium so they set it up that way um which is probably you know somewhat true and both administrations democratic and republican are always you know sort of bending to uh, the uh, fossil fuel industries because they employ people and there is this energy independent stuff. And so it's very hard to have a conversation about this because Democrats think they're doing good and they're not. And Republicans don't, don't value that there is a real problem here. And so we're stuck, you know, with activists, um, Greta and other kids, you know, trying to force us to save the planet for, for them and their children. It's it's a disaster. It's just well, a disaster. And I tell you, I heard a statistic. You can fact check it, John Bennett, because you're a good fact checker. <laughs> um, 
the, he just the gave person, you an assignment. <laughs> no, this person, Homer. this guy was from Hawaii and he was talking about the speed with which the fires move. And he said it, it, the speed was that it would go across a football, the length of a football field in 20 seconds. That's how fast the fires were moving. So you ask, well, how, you know, how come so many people got, you know, burned alive probably um if you have a fire that you have no real warning of. feet per second yeah that's uh, a, that's fast moving in fact there was an interview with someone who said they were sitting outside they saw it on the hillside and by the time they got their stuff packed that all they could do was jump out into the they were living right by the water and just jumped in the water and it yeah. just wiped them out that's yeah. a quick movie that's as i mean if you look at some of the pictures it's dev it looked like you know it looked like dresden after you know the bombing of dresden it's just done and there's that historic banyan tree in the middle of town that may or may not survive it was scorched they think they hope that it's partially alive and they can bring it back but it was just unbelievable i mean and with these kind of droughts they're saying more and more that these things will happen um sudden severe droughts that occur within a week or two or a month <clears throat> and then this is the future and so, you know, Michael, to your point, you still have the president of the United States going, this is uh, <laughs> an existential threat to humanity and the window is closing to do anything about it. And we hear it time and again and time and again, to your point, Michael, and and John, that's one thing that I really want to touch. The last point I'd like to go over is no one has done anything about this. Now, in Congress, the, the Democrats talk about it. The Republicans don't, but no one's doing anything about it. And the time is coming where soon where we won't be able to do anything about it. Do you see any, John, you've been in Congress far more than either of the rest of us, uh, than any of the rest of us. What would you think there's any chance that this will ever get traction and something will be done? No, I've come <laughs> to that. You know, it's I think overwhelmed. it's very, I think it's even more serious than, you know, I think I've evolved a little bit on this, and I think it's a lot more serious maybe than, you know, I even thought six months or a year ago. But, you know, we can't know Congress isn't going to do anything about it. The president has done just about everything he can, you know, on his own. Um, but we can't just look at it as America can fix this alone. We can't. Yeah. It has to be everybody. And, you know, I read a story this week, uh, either in the Washington Post or New York Times, I, I don't recall, uh, but it was a really good story about how the UK and the EU, uh, which I think last year, um, European countries agreed to all these emissions reductions by 2030 and, you know, huge uh, reduction targets by 2050. Well, you know, half the EU and Britain already are are busily watering down those goals. And that's going to pass at the EU so Europe's Europe, who lectures us about it, they're now watering down their own re emissions reduction standards. And by the way, maybe the two biggest polluters, they're in the top three or four easily, China and India, they're doing nothing about it. Right. So if, if Europe and China and India and the United States aren't doing anything, then this is one of those problems that it's it's not about fixing it. It's just about managing it. And it, it's not going to get fixed. I'm just, I'm just, it's not going to get fixed. 
And on that up note, I want to switch to something else that was uh, not, not fixed or was tried to be fixed this week. Uh, Donald Trump showed up in court for, uh, well, he didn't show up, but his lawyers did, showed up in court uh, for their, one of their first uh, wonderful little visits with the judge in D.C. And I'm going to let you unpack that, Michael. But I'd like you to here's something that will ring in my ears for a while. And this is from the judge, Chutkin, I think. Uh, quote, he is a criminal defendant. He is going to have restrictions like every single other defendant. With that, Michael, tell us what happened. So Donald Trump was indicted uh, for uh, crimes, alleged crimes, uh, for interfering with the uh, election in multiple states and uh, the federal transition of power. And he drew through the random wheel, which is the way judges get picked mostly, except in Texas, where you have one county that has one judge that all the conservatives bring all their lawsuits to another problem to to be discussed sometime. But just like Judge Cannon in in Florida, Judge Chutkin, they spun the wheel and her name came up. And so she is a former federal um, public defender here in uh, D.C., the Public Defender Service, PDS, as they call it, is, I think, the best public defender service in, in the country. The lawyers there are terrific. She grew up trying cases as a defense attorney, and now she's a judge. She was confirmed uh, to be a judge in a vote of 95 to zero, and um, she runs a very well-organized court. And because she was a public defender and she understands that the role of defense attorneys is to avoid the ultimate um, judgment on their clients because more than not, statistically speaking, uh, people charged with crimes are guilty of those crimes. There are obvious exceptions, of course, but you know, generally speaking, that's the case. And so she is aware that that's what defense attorneys do and that's what they're gonna to try to do in this case in particular. Uh, and she's not gonna have anything uh, of it, and she has she has said to your your quote that um, this case is going to go to trial quickly, and you're going to abide by the rules of this um, that this court imposes on you, both in terms of what you can say about the discovery information that's turned over to your lawyers, and uh, particularly uh, with respect to witness intimidation or efforts to poison the jury pool. And she said to the lawyer, Lauro, do I have your assurance that that your client will abide by this? And he said, yes, your honor. Uh, probably wishful thinking on, <laughs> on his, his part. Um, because since then, since then he said, well, you know, that request is um, a contempt trap, meaning that they know that, tr- that Trump is not gonna comply with it, Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a trap to hold him in in contempt. Well, that's really just sort of silly because Trump has theoretically the capacity to not violate orders of the court on how he behaves. If he chooses not to, it's not a contempt trap. It's a it's a it's a choice. You make these choices. We saw this in the Roger Stone case. Judge Amy Berman Jackson, also a no nonsense judge, former federal prosecutor out of the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., smart lady who runs a very tight court, said to Roger Stone, you you shall not do these things. Do you agree? Yes, I agree. Next you know, week or so, 
he posts a, a picture on um, social media with Amy Berman Jackson's face and a, a, a sight through a rifle uh, next to it. She imposed a gag order immediately and said if he speaks again, essentially she's going to jail him. And, you know, Trump faces the same choice. He can either abide by uh, the rules of the court like any other person charged with a crime or not. And she said, and I think rightly so, your day job, and that's what she called it, your day yeah. job of running for president has nothing to do with what goes on in this courtroom. What goes on in this courtroom is about the uh, trial of the charges on which you've been um, arraigned. And do you understand that? And that's, you know, that's that's the rules. And you have First Amendment rights, she said, like everybody else. But they're not absolute. They're not absolute. And you'll you'll abide by the rules of this court, just like every other criminal defendant is expected to. And that's that. And, you know, if he if he does, then everything will be fine. If he doesn't, then he's going to find himself back in court, probably with a more restrictive gag order. And he can, you know, scream about it all he wants. But he is a criminal defendant. That's what he is in this courtroom. He may be a presidential candidate outside of the courtroom, but in the courtroom, he is a criminal defendant. And she is trying to make sure that his rights of free speech are balanced against the need <clears throat> to ensure that he has a, a fair trial in the District of Columbia, because that's what the criminal justice system uh, requires. And the ultimate thing that she said to him is, if you keep it up, if you don't follow my yes. order, I think that you're going to keep talking then I'll have no choice but to move the trial date up closer. So we'll have a trial sooner so that you can't poison the jury pool um, for an extended period of time. So, you know, you pays your money and you takes your, 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 <laughs> you know? Well, there are a couple of questions that stem from that, but before we get there, I want to ask John, <laughs> you were in the white house. You think Donnie's going to keep quiet? <laughs> of course not. Here he is. As we write this, here he is uh, taking a break from judge bashing, and he's promoting uh, the live golf tournament at his Bedminster Club in New Jersey. Uh, he wants everyone to know, tee off is 1 p.m., and he'll be there all day. I know we all can't wait for that. Um, tune, in to the, tune in to the lowly rated WB network, if you can find it, uh, for all the action. You know, you know, the anyway. thing, John, the thing about that is, you know, Trump's lawyers have said, we need more time. We need more time. And they've sort of observed, well, you've got a whole day to golf. You certainly have a whole day to prepare for trial. You know, you've just made a yeah. decision of what, you know, what your priorities yeah. are. I can either start my diet this afternoon and start exercising or I can say, well, you know, I'll, how about Monday? Right. <laughs> and I need more time. God damn it. Maybe tomorrow's spaghetti night, so let's do it Tuesday. Yeah, no, he's not going to keep quiet. Wednesday's hump day. Let's he hasn't kept Thursday. Well, I mean, these judges have. I think they've all told him so far. Uh, three judges have told him to knock it off. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, and you know, don't talk about me or the trial or the evidence or the witnesses. Um, and and he's done just that. I think it was the next day. Um, the the DC judge that you guys referenced. Uh, she told him not to do it, and it was the very next day on Truth Social. Um, he was he was blasting her and going after her as you know an Obama appointee and uh, making false claims about 
She politicked for the job on the basis of taking down Trump. There's only one problem with that. She was confirmed before he was a presidential candidate. Yeah. The Senate, the Senate easily confirmed. And guess who were among the Republicans who voted to confirm her? Two gentlemen, uh, Ted Cruz and Mike Lee, uh, two Trump defenders who are among the most, they are the most conservative members of the Senate now, now that James Inhofe is retired. It's them, and they voted for her. So no, he's not going to keep John, it. Was a, it was a it was a ninety five to zero. Right. Zero. Right. Yeah, and it would have been the only reason it wasn't one hundred percent is some people weren't there that there. day. They yeah. weren't voting that day. It would have. I it probably would have been one hundred percent if you're going to get Ted Cruz and Mike Lee. You would have gotten you know any other everybody else. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you know the 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 idea that this is a partisan judge. You know the facts. You no, know. I mean. That, that's easy to look up. I mean, that's a two-minute search on the internet. And it's that doesn't hard. matter. Facts don't matter to these people. But let's go Facts to Facts don't matter to Trump. We know that. And no, he hasn't kept quiet. He's made false claims about the prosecutor, the special counsel, Jack Smith, and the judges, and um, the, the district attorney in, in Fulton County in Georgia, and uh, the Manhattan district attorney, even though I don't think anyone here would have brought that case uh, in Manhattan. But Trump has made false and nasty claims about about the D, the DA there. He's not going um, to, to go be gentle quiet. into that good night. No, and I understand the, Michael's point about you know these folks run a tight courtroom, so they have to do this. Um, but th there's also the functional part of how do you hold a former president in contempt? You're going to throw him in. You're going to throw him in the in the county slammer for thirty days. I mean, what's the Secret Service going to say about that? And what does that security footprint look like? They well, they can. They don't have to jail him. Well, you know, if the they're not going to put him in 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 a, in a federal prison. Uh, they could. Him? They could. You know, put him under house arrest in 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 Mar-a-Lago, but they could fine him. That, that's what they do to corporations. If you want to, yeah. your corporation, you want to, you know, be con in contemptuous behavior. It costs you, you know, ten thousand dollars a day. These fines can add up. Now you know Trump is not paying for anything. His PAC uh, is is grifting people, and they're and they're paying for it. But the judge could impose heavy fines on him, um, and I you know that you would think that would get his attention. Of course, he's using all of this as a you know badge of honor. He says, "If uh, looking forward to the Georgia indictment, it'll be my fifth indictment, and that'll secure my." nomination if they could do this to me they could do this to you and of course he's, he's right if you engage in all these crimes <laughs> this will be done to you too yeah. um uh it's not like yeah, no one's above the law but let me get to the, i, I want to so, get to, before we go to the break i want to get to the last part the, the kind of the mixed ruling on the protective order if you looked at the headlines on the from fox it was like uh judge sides with trump if you look at the headlines from cnn judge sides with with prosecution and it was a it, 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 which gave you an idea that if you want to look for bias don't look for it in this judge she kind of went right down the middle and even as she fired repeated warning shots at trump she did kind of side with their attorneys on a on the protective order a little bit she she had some restrictions but i want you to if you could explain michael the one part that uh, there was a, a trump requested to broaden the language for who could review the discovery and not just his lawyers that were employed, but 
you know, uh, vol they call them volunteer lawyers or consultants. And Chutkin said, I'm not, quote, I'm not comfortable with that broader definition, which could include just about anyone and would significantly increase the risk of unauthorized disclosure. She said, I live in Washington. Everyone is a consultant. And so she she limited <laughs> who could actually see the <laughs> no, right? I, that, that's such a great line. That, that's got to be used. But um, she did kind of um, she they some of it fell in the prosecutor's purview, but it also kind of limited, uh, you know, like the sensitive evidence stuff. Walk me through that if you can. Right. So the prosecutor said essentially, we want a blanket protective order. He can't talk about anything. And here you see Judge Chudkin coming out of the public defender service, saying to the prosecutors, ah, not not so fast. You, you can't do that. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, the defense essentially has said, we don't want any protective order, <laughs> except perhaps the limited um, category of grand jury secrecy protected stuff. They couldn't not have that. And Judge Pricard says, ah, no, I think that's a little bit too broad. I've tried that myself as a defense lawyer, and it's not going to fly in my court. So, you know, gents, she says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to say there's a protective order that covers sensitive information, and I'm going to define sensitive information for you. And it's, you know, a specific category of documents that mostly derive from the grand jury, government witness interviews, the stuff that you think of as being the most protect, the most protected information um, that could jeopardize a fair trial. She said, as to that stuff, I don't want you talking about it. You can look at it. You can um, uh, have all the defense uh, preparation that you need. You just can't talk about this stuff in public. And everyone seemed you know, to say more or less, okay, we each got something we didn't get everything, but that's the nature of what a compromise is. And so, um, fair enough. The question that remains, and I don't think she addressed it, is where will Donald Trump be required to look at this information? Some of this information is, as in the Mar-a-Lago case, um, sensitive and classified, and he wants a secure compartmented information facility, a SCIF, built in Mar-a-Lago <clears throat> instead, instead of um, having, having to go to courthouses or FBI offices or something to look at it. And that this, this exists in the Mar-a-Lago case predominantly, but I think probably has some tentacles into this case. And we'll see what happens um, about where, where it is that he has to look at it. He said it will cost too much money to move me from one place to another place. Let me put it in, in my house. And... <laughs> Uh, you know, we'll see. That's principally going to be on Judge Eileen Cannon, who is maybe the uh, polar opposite of Judge Chutkin. Yeah. She, she doesn't but, seem to really have good control of her courtroom. In the Chutkin case, I mean, it was the concern was about him making copies and and being having a look at this sensitive material. And she wanted the uh, prosecution wanted um, to have someone from the prosecution with him while he went through this or have someone in attendance. She no, said, defense, a lawyer, he has to be with a lawyer. Yeah. yeah. And then, so she said, well, you know, he's not going to, you're going to have to police this and he's not going to have a 
a phone to make copies and stuff like that. But I, to, I guess the question is, look, if he's not going to, if he feels like there's no repercussions and John, you can speak to this probably, <laughs> if he feels like <laughs> the only repercussions are monetary, that's not good. He doesn't pay his bills anyway. Do you think there's going to be any, I mean, he, if he feels like shooting his mouth off about this sensitive material, I guess Michael, at some point in time, he would he could he could actually you know they they might gag there might be a gag order and he might literally be gagged. But John, I don't see any circumstance that would intimidate this man into you know keeping his mouth shut. Do you? I can't imagine what 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 that stick looks like. Uh, you can't carrots don't work for this guy either. I can't imagine how they would ever you know, how they would ever uh, get him to keep quiet about all this. And and you raise a good point um, about the the classified documents case, um, when and if it ever gets to trial, if they figure out a way to, how are they going to handle the substance of these documents um, in, in a criminal trial? Uh, that's interesting to me. Uh, you know, you're going to, you know, you'll have some journalists able to, to be in the courtroom, not not cameras, but you'll have, you know, a wire reporter and they'll probably have a lottery like they did here. So what about the reporters who are in the courtroom when they're talking about the 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 Pentagon document about attacking Iran? Like what you can't have that in the press. So is part of this trial going to be behind closed doors? Um, and and Trump can use that situation to his advantage um, not so much in the general election, but in the primary for sure, and raising money. You know, he can use, well, now they want to try me behind closed doors. You know, he's going to use that. I was just sitting here imagining, uh, I'm sure at some point soon, uh, Brian, you and I are going to get a, a Trump campaign fundraising pitch email about, I need your help. I I need to build a big, beautiful skiff at Marlago <laughs> for the for the witch hunt trial. When I did nothing wrong, they were perfect documents. Just, just forty seven dollars. Just forty seven dollars. Yeah. <laughs> right. If you just know seven dollars will do, but twenty seven is better. I have to build the biggest, beautiful, most beautiful skiff. <laughs> and you know that's coming too. And you know, I was thinking the other day. You know, I hope taxpayers aren't going to pay for the skiff, which he'll get. He'll get because he gets everything. He'll get the skiff at Mar-a-Lago, but God, his donor, not. his donors are going to pay for that too. It's just really remarkable. But that's that's his advantage. He'll spend this in the primary, which you know I think he's going to win the primary. I think he's going to. I think he's going to sweep. I think he's going to sweep every state. Um, and it, I, I don't think another Republican candidate is going to win a single state in the primary. And Donald Trump is going. To, the problem is he's burning through his uh his campaign cash to pay his legal bills and joe biden you know he, he had some more flubs on the road he was out west raising money primarily this week that's that's the real reason joe was out west wink wink nod nod and joe raised tens of millions of dollars in what two and a half days he's not paying legal bills you know hunter's got to pay his own legal bills yeah uh, i don't dad's not paying them with campaign cash unlike donnie so He's going to have a big money problem when he gets to the general. He's spending money, not just on legal bills, but you know, he's some of his big donors have, have said they're yeah. backing away from right. him. So that's he's spending money on DeSantis, you know, flying his huge 737 to Iowa and back, you know, twice a week. 
that's not cheap either. So hold on to that thought because okay. that's where we're going after the break. So let me take a quick break and when we'll come back, we'll talk about that Iowa trip a little bit. Stick around, we'll be right back. Hey, just ask the question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It's just asked the question, the Galapagos edition. And Michael Zeldin knows me a turtle, and I'm Brian Karam. And with, with this is, is John Bennett from edit, editor at large from CQ Roll Call. Michael Zeldin. What an iguana. 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 Former yeah. federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. And we have wish lists from the Galapagos, Michael. I so we're gonna, but we'll talk, I guess, a little bit more about politics first. Uh John, you mentioned before we went to break his his many trips to Iowa, and you you were get, touching on something that I really <laughs> liked watching is is that with all this crap going on, I mean Donald Trump has seventy eight felony charges more, to, and we're going to talk about that uh, with Michael in just a second. More probably coming out of uh, Georgia this week, Tuesday or Wednesday, and yet he is just loved in Iowa. And all the he went to an Iowa fair, and and everybody else up there got booed. And but Donnie is is on a roll in Iowa, which you know there are a lot of pig farmers up there. And I'm not gonna I've I've covered the Iowa caucuses. It's a strange little place to be. But tell me, what the hell is going on? Let's. You know, I was watching uh, some of the clips on social media from Iowa reporters uh, who were out there and. You know, some of their dispatches and videos that they posted were just amazing. And I was again reminded to 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 don't look at Trump in these videos. Look at how people are looking at him. They adore this guy. He's heroic. He's a deity. He's holding up yesterday. So this is what Trump does. You know, everyone else has to eat the food at the Iowa State Fair. Trump gives it away, which should be. A big insult yeah. to the vendor, <laughs> to the, you know, the ice cream stuff. vendor. It's, it's right. bigly, bigly bad. And, right. And, you know, the, whoever it is, yesterday he was at a stand and he got a pork chop that was as big as my giant head. And, you know, he, he holds it up, the great people of Iowa, he's doing his shtick. And instead of, and the other candidates have to then take a giant bite out of this giant pork chop, Trump gives it to, a, I'm using quote fingers, a reporter from something RSBN. I didn't take the time to learn what that stands for, but it's a, it's a, a conservative, I'm using quote fingers again for our listeners, media outlet. And he gives this giant pork chop to this reporter and says, you've been my friend over the years. But, you know, if Ron DeSantis gives away, you know, his Iowa-made IPA, in the middle of the day, because you know he doesn't want to drink a beer, he's got a campaign. You know that's an insult, and he gets booed. So yeah. it's just Trump can do no wrong when he goes to these red states. And I remarked yesterday 
that if you're if you're a judge in one of these trials and you see him go to Iowa or South Carolina or uh, another red state, you're just probably thinking this is only going to make it worse. It's only going to make him worse. He's going to it emboldens him to talk about the trials because when you go to some place like that and you know he 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 feeds off of it. This is how we got the border wall. It was just yeah. a line that they told him to say and it got a big applause and it became, you know, you know, half of his 2016 campaign platform. And so he he feeds off of it. He feeds off the energy and, the, and just the the adoration that he gets. And and that's what I would tell our viewers. When you see these clips, don't don't scroll past it. Don't X out of it. Look at how they look at him and realize that he's got a real shot to be the 47th president. And when Biden's on the road and sets up a climate, they called it the climate interview with the Weather Channel, should have been a layup. And he flubs his own climate policy on the climate interview. You have to realize Donald Trump has a puncher's chance to go back to the White House. And when when Biden trips over his own feet twice a day, it only makes that more possible. I'm not saying likely. It makes it more possible. It keeps Trump in the game. Yeah, you and I have known that that Biden has done that for years, though. I mean, he's a gaffe machine. He always has. Yeah, but you can say he's done it for years. But he's doing it now. Yeah, and I don't think that's going to change. But he's no. he made it the president doing it. So that's that's, that's my true. that's, that's my point. That is also but, true. That is also he, true. That's and, true. And and he beat him, Biden beat him once. I yeah. get that, but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a landslide. No, no, there was just a few hundred thousand votes either way. That's exactly right, right. Michael. What <laughs> your turn? <laughs> so I was reading. The other day, I get this newsletter from um, Dan Pfeffer, um, the former Trump, uh, the former Obama uh, yeah. guy, and he has a he has a, a newsletter, a Substack, I guess it is, and he says what you guys have been saying is true at the national level. He says, though, however, that Trump appears weaker in Iowa and New Hampshire than nationally. And he shows data which says that, for example, among all voters, um, Trump, GOP voters nationally, Trump is up 32%. In Iowa, among GOP voters, he's up 16%. And across all demographics, nationally, uh, white evangelicals up 35% of in the GOP field, in Iowa, up 20%. Up um, for people over 35, over 45 years old, nationally up 36% within the GOP. Iowa, up 16%. And he says, and and New Hampshire is even um, more telling than 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 that. Um, and that his numbers in these states where people are beginning to pay attention are actually contracting. And so he says, yeah, he's, you know, the pre presumptive uh, nominee and, you know, the early prohibitive favorite. But he's just saying as a word of caution, not so fast as voters begin to pay attention to what's going on here. He says maybe there is an opportunity for somebody to um, remember he lost Iowa the first time around in 2016. Right. Trump lost Iowa. 
if he loses it this time, uh, according to Pfeffer, it'll be a much more significant, because nobody expected Trump to win anything in 2016. I thought he was just a, an outlier, sort of a joke. And so um, when he loses Iowa, it's, you know, that's what, you know, that's the norm. That's what's expected. But now if he were to lose Iowa or New Hampshire, the the sort of seismic change that that could bring uh, is, is more profound. So he's just saying, I'm not saying this. These numbers are still big between him and DeSantis and him and anybody else. But but they're showing some signs of weakness. So I guess the answer to your question to me is he knows Dan knows more than I do. Um, so I raise what he says as a you know sort of a cautionary tale of maybe not so fast, but we'll see. Well, I, I saw you shaking your head there, John. I'll get to you in a second. But uh, I would you bring up an interesting point, Michael, and that is finally. Huh? finally. <laughs> You bring up a very interesting, oh, I'm telling you, it's a tough room, but you did. So, but the point is, are we, is, you know, appearance versus reality. It appears that he's strong among his converted. There is no doubt that Donald Trump is as strong among the converted as always. But to your point, John, that you've said many times over many weeks is how does this affect the swing voters? And and in essence, does, is he converting anybody else? Because if he doesn't convert anybody else and he gets and mm-hmm. and, and there is some contraction, there has we have mm-hmm. seen some contraction among the supporters. There's no way Donald Trump can win a general based on that, uh, on just the numbers not right now. Yeah, but no, not right now. But, but but here's the thing. We're still several months away from, you know, the first caucuses and the first primaries and as this trial as this tumbles and we're going to go straight into this in a minute um you know in georgia the pile-on effect is starting to have weigh heavily and so while you see the people who just adore him some of those uh, and i know people who voted for him twice who are not going to vote for him now but i also know people who might vote for him now because they do not think that Biden will survive a second term and they're afraid that Kamala Harris will be the VP. So it's a very volatile, like I said, next 16 months, man, strap in, it's going to be nuts. But last, you were shaking your head there, John, so to something that Michael said about uh, him, well, you know, perhaps losing. So I'll, I'll give you the last word on that before yeah, we go. Yeah, to it wasn't what Michael was saying. It was what uh, Dan Pfeiffer had written there. Um, and I... I, Brian, you and I, I'm sorry to stutter there a little bit, but I'm just a, kind of still amazed that Democrats engage in this wishful thinking analysis. And that's I what I agree with that. <laughs> and you and I used to talk about it when we were inside the Trump White House. And, you know, one of us would get off the phone with, you know, a Democratic strategist or, you know, a source or one of us would come back from the Hill and, you know, Republicans just didn't want to talk about it for whatever Trump is doing that day. And, and Democrats, um, you know, had this wishful thinking that voters or other Republicans were going to walk just gonna wake up to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, you know, I understand. And, and, you know, Dan has a point and he's studied all that stuff closer than I have for a lot longer. And he does have a point. Um, but, but, you know, when Mike Pence drops out and um, Tim Scott drops out and Vivek drops out, a lot of those voters, sure, some of those voters might go to DeSantis or Nikki Haley. Sure, I get that. But most of them are going to go back to Trump. That's that's my reading of it. That's I'm taking 
a different tack than Dan. They're going to go home. They're going to go home to Trump and you can, everybody can write it down. And if I'm wrong, please call me out on it. He sweeps. They're all righty. <laughs> so to quote that- Vince McMahon, to quote, I guarantee it. <laughs> and we're with that guarantee, we're going to switch over to the devil went down to Georgia looking for a vote to steal. And so next week in Georgia, um, and Donald Trump has already uh, maligned the prosecutor and uh, and the DA down in uh, Fulton County. Michael, what are we going to look at on Tuesday? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I don't know if it'll happen on Tuesday. We know yeah, on Tuesday that a reporter who stumbled upon the fake electors in the Georgia uh, official courthouse or wherever they were, um, has been subpoenaed to testify. And Lieutenant Governor, former Lieutenant Governor of Georgia, a former Trump alkalite turned anyone but Trump, um, has been subpoenaed uh, to testify. And they're going to hear additional evidence on that day. And whether or not they indict Tuesday or Thursday or next week, uh, I think that, I think actually they have to do it this week. I think that the grand jury term expires this coming Friday. So it may it it should be this week if she's going to indict. What people are expecting is a multi-defendant, multi-count indictment that has um, similar features to the Jack Smith indictment, which is to say crimes that include the um, solicitation of fraud to induce. Uh, a change in voter outcomes and a conspiracy to interfere with the right of Georgians to have their votes properly tabulated. And they talk a lot about the RICO statute of Georgia being used. RICO in Georgia is really not, you know, sort of mafia RICO federally. It's really more a conspiracy to commit um, multiple related crimes. And so, uh, I think you may see that a, a broad conspiracy under the heading of RICO, which is just a conspiracy a conspiracy to commit multiple crimes, all centered around the um, uh, s- preventing the certification of the the Georgia vote. And I think that's what will happen. And, I, uh, and, and what do you predict will happen with Donnie? And and who do you think? How many do you think? I mean, we've heard Rudy is a target. I mean, that he got a target letter, so. Yeah, Bella. I think like eighteen people got target letters, including yeah. some of the false electors who have now since been given. Some of them who have whom have been given um, immunity, so they'll be witnesses to s- talk about the um, the, uh, the voter election um, scheme that tr- that will be the basis of the criminal charges. Uh, yeah, I would think that uh, Giuliani and Sidney Powell, um, in particular, uh, are vulnerable here. Plus, I think some of the key Republican Party operatives who facilitated this, as well as um, some of the electors themselves. So, yeah, you could have a multi-party, multi-defendant, multi-count indictment. John, do you think that's going to make a damn bit of difference to the people who love Donnie? (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Um, You know, again, this will help him in the primary. It's all will help him in the primary. It'll help him raise, you know, even more five, ten, twenty dollar donations from people 
um, who probably have other needs uh, as far as spending that money. Uh, but no, um, no matter about the bills I have to pay or my health care or whatever, um, Don, Don, Don needs my help. He's an American hero. Yeah. So we'll ship that off and help him build his big, beautiful skiff in Mar-a-Lago um, <laughs> and paint his plane or whatever he's raising money for this be week. So it'll, it'll help him. Yeah, it'll it'll help him. But, you know, one more thing about the general election, uh, you know, the trials won't help him. The indictments won't help him. Uh, all the evidence and the charges and, you know, CNN and MSNBC uh, dramatically reading the indictments on live television. That's not going to help him with independent voters. And neither is the fact that he doesn't really talk about the problems that people feel every day and what he wants to do about inflation and gas prices and health care and everything that, you know, I'm sure um, frustrate the three of us every day, the cost of all that and, and our listeners, too. So he's not talking about that. But, you know, Joe Biden is talking about that. And that did work last time for Joe Biden. Brian, to your point, he. He did. I understand he did beat Donald Trump uh, in the last election. And largely because but despite Joe, what Donnie says, that's yeah, Joe Biden did have policies, agree with them or not, agree with how he's governed and and the, the legislation he's pushed and signed into law and the executive actions he's taken and how his administration has implemented this and that. And um, but Joe Biden did last time talk about kitchen table issues and health care. And and Trump didn't. Trump talked about Hillary's emails again, and he lost the election. And if he does, if he makes this a referendum about all these trials and his own legal issues and all of his grievances, and Joe Biden is in Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Arizona and Georgia saying, here's what my team thinks we can do to bring down your health care costs or your prescription drug costs. And, you know, I'm going to get with Europe and we're finally going to get tough on OPEC. You know, if he's talking about stuff like that to bring down gas prices, then Joe Biden probably wins re-election. There you go. Well, with that said, we're going to switch, take one more uh, a little topic before we take our second break. And um, that is what some would say is an indication that the Department of Justice has not been weaponized. And this week, a the uh, person looking into the Hunter Biden uh, malfeasance, misfeasance, whatever, uh, Hunter is up to was elevated to the point of a special process, special counsel. However, James Comer claims that they were right at the point where they quote unquote traced it to President Biden, but Garland foiled their plans by appointing a special counsel. Michael, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think that's the case, or do you think this is something else? Well, I think it's something else, but I'm not sure what it is exactly. Uh, Weiss has been investigating this case as the U.S. attorney for, for several years, and uh, he reached a plea agreement with Hunter Biden for Biden to plead guilty to two misdemeanor tax charges and be in a diversion program for the purchase of the gun, uh, having lied about not being on drugs at the time of the, of the purchase. The plea fell apart when, sh sort of sh shockingly, the prosecutor said this case is ongoing and we're still looking at other things, principally, I guess, the Foreign Agent Registration Act, the FARA charges, whether or not 
uh, Hunter Biden served as an unregistered agent for a foreign government. Ben says, oh, yes, it does. It covers all of that. And it broke down and they uh, left the court and they had just announced uh, the other day that they cannot come to agreement. And the prosecutor said, therefore, when we have no uh, plea agreement, the next step is to go to trial. And so he says to Merrick Garland, if I'm going to be going to trial and my continuation, my investigation is continuing and there are these, you know, sort of lines of inquiry that we're making to uh, whether president vice president at the time biden had anything to do with it safer to have me be an independent counsel special counsel than as an AUSA. and um garland agreed and i don't think anything substantially changes in terms of weiss's mandate i think he has the same mandate that he had as a u as a u.s attorney from delaware as he now has as a special counsel, you know, the notion um, from Comer that he would have been, as a U.S. attorney, been forced to come to the Hill and testify about his investigation. And now he's been, you know, sort of precluded from doing that. It doesn't make any sense. Mostly U.S. attorneys do not um, come up to the Hill and talk about uh, ongoing cases. Look, Eric Holder, U.S. Um, attorney general for Obama, refused to come up and was held in contempt on the Fast right. and Furious. Um, subpoenas and um, Trump and and his supporters in Congress and elsewhere refused to uh, abide the January sixth subpoenas or the impeachment subpoenas. They just thumb their nose, saying you have no authority to subpoena me. So, I mean, they set the predicate for not replying right. to subpoenas, and so to say that somehow this dastardly. Um, deed by Merrick Garland to name him a special counsel to subvert the will of Congress is nonsensical to me. So where we so what what we have at the bottom line is Weiss continues his investigation. He's now got a different title than previously. The case is set for trial. It'll probably be in the District of Columbia or California where the taxes uh, um, weren't filed. We'll see whether they file uh, felony charges against him. I still think that this case settles uh, because the imperatives for Hunter Biden to settle this are overwhelming. There's no real defense to these sorts of cases. And I think that that's what happens. But we've hit this speed bump. And right now, people are preparing for trial um, under the watchful prosecutorial eye of special counsel Weiss instead of the watchful eye of U.S. attorney Weiss. More and, form and substance. Yeah, more that's, and, and, and John, there's been no evidence. I mean, Michael too, I mean, but John, there's been, no, Comer has been shooting his mouth off on Fox and everywhere else, but not one shred of evidence has linked and they they've been pushed by Fox even. Hey, produce some evidence. You haven't produced any evidence. And yet they continue to press the narrative. Well, isn't it ironic that the, so far the 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 main charge here that Comer and Jordan, Jim Jordan and others, uh, House Republicans mostly and Fox News uh, commentators, not you know some of their daytime anchors which who do who do a pretty serious job until um, you know about one o'clock. Uh, but that's another podcast. Um, so 
Um, the underlining point here is that Hunter was was using the last name as a brand, almost a lure for those fishers right. out there. Not that I'm a fisher person, uh, but to to bring in the big sharks with the big dollars from you know China and and I guess Ukraine and China and going to China exactly yeah. Um, so, but the ironic part here is Trump never stopped using his last name while in office <laughs> as a lure for some of the same folks to to line his own pockets, not when he was finished serving, but you know, wow. he never he never really stepped down as head of the Trump business organization. So what's okay for Trump and his sons and remember Jared and Ivanka, they yeah, certainly used the last name. Saudi. Yeah. He got two billion as soon as Jerry got two billion from Saudi Arabia as soon as he walked off the White House grounds. <laughs> so you know we have to impeach Biden for it with no evidence. But Trump and his family sometimes bragged about doing this kind of yeah. something similar while he was in the Oval Office. So you know I am willing to buy the narrative. Now I need to see more evidence like you that Hunter did, did that. That Hunter used the last name to try to get rich. Yeah, I don't have any Hunter, doubt right, about that. That Hunter did that while his dad was vice president. I'm willing to be convinced, but that's not illegal. Yeah, and but I there's been no evidence that his dad had anything to do with it. Correct, that's, correct. That's, You're right. There's no whereas, evidence. We, 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 you, me, and half the Washington press corps have asked Comer and his people to just connect the dots for yeah, us. Please. How many I, times have we I'm go? Sure, well, just give it something. A, you, you probably like me in a moment of frustration said, just show me off the record. Yeah, and they, they won't do that. And I suspect it's because they can't do that. Yeah, there you go. And on that wonderful thought, we're going to take another short break. We'll come back with sports and weather. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, with us to dissect the week's events as uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. And at, when, we, when we last left, there, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. We've been talking about Hunter Biden, Georgia, a lot of other things. Uh, and I'm going to let you unpack this one, John, because uh, the CF, I think uh, – college football and this is actually kind of a big news event but and i do have some letters we want to go through and there is something i may want to bring up on the first amendment but we may save that to another podcast but what the hell's happening in college athletics john the cfb break the the big 12 i i which you know i i was in a big eight man i remember when it was a big eight <laughs> i'm not even in we don't even have that anymore my college is in the southeastern mega conference too many damn mega conferences but go ahead 
What's up? We'll get you get used to it. Uh, yeah, I know it more. sucks. What's what's happening in college football is simple. Money is happening. And and yeah, greed is happening. And you know, the, the allure of these super conferences is to jack up the TV deal and then the member conferences get to split the TV deal. Um, my school is not a power five school. I went to Appalachian State in North Carolina, uh, three-time uh, national champion in football um, at the lower level, at what is now called FCS. At the time, it was 1AA uh, for part of the time that we were down. And, you know, we didn't, you know, everybody involved in App State's move eventually into the Sun Belt Conference, which is one of the group of five, not power five. So, um, you know, it's not going to be a super conference by any means. But the allure was the Sun Belt was renegotiating its its TV deal with ESPN to go on ESPN Plus eventually. And, you know, when they showed App State, you can stay down and lose this much, even though you're you're a top five program or top two program every year, a national champion, or you can come up here with us and make this much. Well, that was an easy decision for App State's administration. Uh, and it was it was not popular, but it was the right thing to do. It was. It absolutely was. And, you know, if you're Colorado, you can stay in the pack, the pack, I guess it was pack 12, pack 10 by the time it died last week. Um, but they so somehow the pack 12 officials couldn't even get a TV deal. So if you're Colorado and the Big 12 sitting over there and I'll get to that in a second, what they've done is remarkable. And the Big 12's got this deal with Fox. And they're like, you can stay in the Pac-12 and die. You can become a Mountain West member because that's probably what's going to happen to the Pac-4. Or you can come over here and you can play with you can play with uh, Cincinnati and UCF. We and BYU's coming to play, and Utah's going to come. And they got Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, uh, BYU's already there. UCF's already there. Trump it's University already, there, right? <laughs> everybody's there. Texas Tech is there. Uh, a lot of good quality football schools. And by the way, the Big 12 is actually a basketball conference. Yeah. So they've added Arizona, their final four caliber, you know, every few years. So the Big 12, the Big 12 was going to die when when Texas and Oklahoma announced they were going to the SEC. The Big 12 was on life support. And now it's going to be the third most important conference in the country. And, and the schools are going to be, they're going to be compensated very well by that TV deal. Now, where I've come with all this is college football needs to break away from the NCAA. It needs to become its own entity with its own governing body, with an actual governing body that enforces things. And let the NCAA run all the other sports. Maybe, maybe men's and women's basketball goes with football. And, and those three sports break away and the NCAA, football, wrestling, track, volleyball, they govern all that because they've lost control of college yeah. football. Yeah, I, I mean, when I was in college, look, I was in a conference that was Mizzou, Nebraska, Oklahoma, the, you know, the Big Eight, and then it, it, and then they, like you said, they all broke off and went to the SEC. But I, for Michael, here's one for you that will uh I, I to what you were speaking about john at the beginning of uh, of that question is god is in heaven and we all want what's his but power and greed and corruptible seed seem to be all that there is 
Yeah, I mean, it's greed, but also, I mean, I'm a big college football fan, and every year or every other year, I'm going to get to see Utah play TCU. Sign me up. <laughs> we're, so we're, we're no longer going to have to watch Clemson at Virginia every two years. We're going to get to probably see Clemson at Oklahoma. Sign me up. <laughs> Michael, you I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm, I'm team John, greed on this. John's in. Michael, you all in, and can you identify the quote, more importantly? I can't, and I oh, don't. Oh, no, no, no. You're, look at the guy behind you. I think it's even on that album. What, what, I, what, I, don't, I didn't. Um, God I didn't is in heaven, and we all want what's his. But power and greed and corruptible seed seem to be all that there is. Tell me the song. Well, I'm just going to give you. Uh, it's Bob Dylan. Yeah, no, that I knew, but 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 I don't. Re I just can't pick pick it out it's, of the song. It's just a featured quote that a after one of his songs that he yeah. that he. No one is free, even the birds are chained to the sky. He, yeah, yeah, well, that. The, but these are these are. If you go to the internet, these are quotes that Dylan said in interviews. They're not. They don't appear. Well, actually, in, this is a quote. That, yeah. This is a quote he said when he was talking about uh, uh, something that the Beatles wrote that copied him. And uh, here I stand, head in hand, turn my face to the wall. It's if she's gone, I can't go on feeling too. Hide your love away by John. He admitted that he was talking about Bob and and and, and Bob, who offered the marijuana for the first time, said, "Got it." <laughs> that was his response when asked about the Beatles copying him. Anyway. <laughs> So anyway, but I just want your listening audience to know that was not a lyric. <laughs> I, I didn't, uh, and I didn't uh, uh, forget a, a lyric. I don't. Okay, know, that's. All, I don't know all of his uh, point taken newspaper newspaper quotes. Although I was listening um, uh, to um, Blood on the Tracks recently, which is you know, great, uh, great his, his masterpiece, and and. You know, it's mostly about his breakup with his wife, Sarah, and he's got songs that are, you know, I'm going to, you're going to make me lonesome when you go. And if you see her, say hello. And all these, you know, sort of love, heartfelt songs. But he's got a song called Idiot Wind, which is about yeah. as Idiot Wind and Positively Fourth Street are probably the meanest songs ever written. I was thinking about this in political terms and it, he has a, a stanza in there. It says, idiot wind blowing like a circle around my skull from the grand coulee dam to the Capitol. Idiot wind blowing every time you move your teeth. You're an idiot, babe. It's a wonder you still know how to breathe. <laughs> and you think that's pretty appropriate to a whole <laughs> host of people. <laughs> it's a wonder that you still know how to breathe. Look, um, <laughs> I, I'll just go back. And I was standing on the side of the road, rain falling on my shoes, heading out for the East Coast. Lord knows I've paid some dues. Tangled That's, up in blue. <laughs> tangled up in blue. That's, All right. Anyway, so we passed this little test, even though you tried to slip a fast one in there. <laughs> Non-lyrics. Non John Bennett, would you please make note of that? Um, and put <laughs> I'd like it. I'd like it placed on his permanent record. <laughs> I'm going to put it on a, a big, uh, big post-it note right on the front of his file, and it's a thick file. It's a big, <laughs> bigly. It's bigly. Playboy. <laughs> big beautiful file. 
Anyway, so you, you, were you saying, um, uh, Brian? Well, that I guess you're a that fan of this. Do you think this, these mega conferences are going to be a good idea? You know, it, it is a business, as John Barrett says. Go. And when we when we acknowledge what it is, and we start paying student athletes for participating in this business, so that they can be rewarded for their services, like any other employee. I think we're we're better off. It, you know, with the facade of the student athlete. Yeah, there are student athletes. You know, you have Bill Bradley becoming a Rhodes Scholar and 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 others. You know, following thereafter. But basically, for the average student athlete, they're employees of a multi-million-dollar business that people are profiting from at their expense and. It should be acknowledged as such. And if they want to run it as the college football league with all teams participating in it, irrespective of, of geography or conferences, I, I don't care. As long as the student athletes get compensated for, for what they're doing. Good uh, they're, they're, they're the ones who I am most concerned with. I don't really care whether it's Pac-10. My wife went to Stanford. I, I don't know what conference uh, they're going to be in if any you know yeah right so, Ivy League. And i don't think she cares whether they're yes. pack 12 the, or pack 10 or pack eight i think they're going to be in the acc because that makes sense yeah that's <laughs> don't get me wrong don't get this is going to be great for college football it's going to be awful for the baseball team and the volleyball team and the cross-country team and and you know uh app state's former coach eli drinkwitz who now is at missouri brian um i'm no fan of coach drinkwitz uh, he he, Neither he, am I. Kinda did, he he kind of did us dirty, but that's okay. We wish him luck. He had some very um, thoughtful comments last week, and I urge everyone there on social media. And he made this point. I thought uh, Coach Drinkwitz uh, was very articulate, and and you could tell that that he cares about the other student athletes. And a lot of coaches don't, but but I think I, I think he does. And he made this point um, that did anybody ask the volleyball team? Did anybody ask the wrestling team? Right. Uh, no, of course. They want to, and, and they don't get a chartered flight. And he made this great point. And, and kudos to Coach Drink uh, for saying that. We, App State and Drinkwitz, did not have a, a pleasant parting, but I was very proud of him uh, for making those comments this week. So, as we bring this episode to close, I do have one. Well, it's two questions, one for each of you from a BEK 844. Who says, and this one's for you, Michael. Fox News aired just recently that all January 6th evidence has now been destroyed. So if the country isn't corrupt, why would they need to destroy all the evidence? Not a question, but a true statement. The January 6th evidence hasn't been destroyed. And yeah. it's a false claim. And I, I'm not really sure how to respond to it. It's, you know, and the earth is flat. Okay. Well, <laughs> fine, but have you seen any of the pictures from the Hubble <laughs> Web telescopes? You know. Well, I can't say this much. Something, yeah, you know, the feces that those folks smeared on the wall of the Capitol is has been cleaned up. So maybe <laughs> yes. that's what they're doing. And for you, John, from the same writer, the point oh, with God. Donald Trump is he is exposing all the lies child sex trafficking, 
money that's been taken from us for years, the IRS, the Vatican, over 600 planes full of gold at the Vatican, Federal Reserve is bankrupt. We are now a restored republic. Why shouldn't we be for Donald Trump? So much truth is coming out from Donald Trump. Wow. Uh, where to start? Um, let's see. Um, Let me just say, John, to help you out. I live around the corner from I live around the corner from Comet. Um, uh, I used to. Yeah. Pizza, uh, where the, the sex trafficking uh, QAnon um, conspiracy began. And I was in there recently and there was no evidence of it. It's, it's okay. <laughs> I, I will say the common piece of the pizza is delicious. The wings are also uh, very tasty. Yeah. Um, now, the point of Donald Trump is that the, the 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 listener writer is correct that people do love that Trump deals in these conspiracy theories and is willing to whether he believes them or not personally is irrelevant. But he'll he'll talk about them at rallies and uh, on Fox or Newsmax or Truth Social. And, and, you know, he'll deal in these conspiracies that people, for whatever reason, um believe and he'll push false narratives for his own personal benefit and um you know my phone hasn't lit up with the truth social alert in an hour but you know at any moment uh we oh could get God. one of these things you know he could be pushing some conspiracy theory on truth social uh before we're done here and, and you know for whatever reason we have about a third of the country that believe everything he says yeah and and we'll send 47 dollars for a t-shirt backing it up so, so. Gift's not going to build itself. Yes, I I'm going to go with Bob Dylan on that one. <laughs> Tangled up in blue. <laughs> so listen, thanks guys. It's been fun as always. It's a great week to to look back at what went on. John, congratulations on the separation anxiety with your sis, and and God bless you. And where would you what would you like to plug? Oh, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Weekly <laughs> column at rollcall.com and uh, CQ.com, CQ Afternoon Briefing. We're on a recess posture. So every Wednesday, we land in your inbox if you subscribe. Yes. And how do we subscribe? Uh, CQ.com. There's a subscription portal. Just follow the clicks. And Michael, I know you've got a podcast. What else would you like to plug? That's it, pretty much. The podcast is called That Said with Michael Zeldin. It is a book discussion podcast with some really fascinating authors. And it's on iTunes and Spotify and all other places. So have a listen and you can pick your favorite author, such as Brian Karam, uh, an author who I interviewed uh, a season or so ago on his great First Amendment book. So have a listen. Well, well, that's and that, you know, I, before I go, I would like everyone because I want to discuss it next week. There was a, a move in Kansas this week that is frightening to me. There was a newspaper in um, I think it was Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, police raided it. They raided the newspaper office, the owner's home, seized record and computers in a, a undisputed story about a, a local business. And so we'll, I, we'll talk about that next week. But the problem is, folks, if you want to support journalism, you've got to support your local reporters. You've got to support uh, community news. That was the point of the book. Thanks, for Michael, for giving me that in to at least plug it and let people know 
if you want real journalism, you got to support it. And the police shouldn't be raiding homes of newspapers owners. But that's my plug for the week. And, and I'll leave you with a thought. Michael, you'll understand. You're going to make me lonesome when you go. So <laughs> I hope you got that reference. I, I got that reference at the name of a song on Blood on the Tracks. And I'm telling you, Karim, that you cannot quote miscellaneous interviews <laughs> and try to pretend that they're, they're lyrics in songs to <laughs> know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Just for the hell of it. So listen, the name of the show is Just Ask the Question. The name of the book is Free the Press, and you can catch me every week on Salon.com. Thanks, guys, for joining us, and we'll catch you again this time next week on Just Ask the Question. Winstead. I'm Moji Alawode Al. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast that helps you navigate the post-row hellscape. We dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with our guests, the abortion providers and activists working on the ground. Plus, we have amazing comedians to help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your pod fix. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off.